The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come now expecting you to feed us through your word and by the power of your spirit to lift up Jesus Christ, your son. So, Father, come now, feed us, help us, love us through your word. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, self-family, here we are, week two. Some of us in person. I'm going to try to remember to look at you who are at home, and I see you out there in the commons. Hopefully, yep, thanks for waving. I see you there. And we're, we're in this situation uh, because of the shaken times that we live in. Most of us have felt a sense of being unsettled during these days. Uh, unsettled even if it's just in our routines. Some of you had to try to, uh, at a moment's notice, learn how to take care of your kids at home while working from home. So, so all of our routines have been upended. You couldn't get things from Amazon the next day. There was no toilet paper to be found and the kind that could be found you didn't want to find. Unsettled in thinking about our future. What about jobs? What about the economy? Where's our, where's our nation going? What's going on? Unsettled by graphic images of violence stirred up in your heart, seeing these things we've never seen before. Unsettled in what we think should happen in all of these things. Everyone has a plan. It's always the best plan, and it never agrees with anyone else's plan. So there's unsettledness in all of these areas. And this season of pandemic has caused all sorts of questions. So the death of George Floyd and riots close to home and how we should respond have caused all sorts of questions. I think it's fair to say that in many ways it's shaken our foundations. It's kind of shaken us to the core in our moment-by-moment, day-by-day lives. And we've seen around us and among us and even inside of ourselves a kind of desperation for firm footing. If I'm going to look around and say, what am I seeing in all of the noise and all of the unsettledness? We just want firm footing. We want a place to stand. And 1 Peter 2.4 tells us that those in Christ have a new firm foundation. It's firm. Bruce just prayed. It can't be moved. We have Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of all the work that God is doing among us and throughout the world. So the work of God and the plans of God and the purposes of God are as sure as the work and person of Jesus Christ. Last week we saw that we're to long for Jesus like new infants long for food because He's the only place we can run to that will give us solid food that will give rest to our weary souls. So let's just say it clearly and consistently as a people during this time. The person and work of Jesus Christ is what will always define us and unite us and provide a firm foundation for us. He's it. Like if this season of life has caused anything to come alive in your heart that was dead or waning before, isn't it just that Jesus Christ is it? 
Where else can we go? He has the words of eternal life. So then this text tells us, as we long for him, as we have these new tastes for him, what do we find when we come to him? Who is it that we're coming to? So look at verse 4. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So the first thing we see is that he's a living stone. And I would just put to you that this is the foundation for our hope. Our Savior's alive. He's not dead. He's not confused. He's alive and he's reigning at the right hand of God. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's not, he's not wondering what to do. Jesus is alive. He's conquered death. He's a living stone. He's entered into our mess. He lived the perfect life we could not live and died the death we deserve to die, but he didn't stay dead. This means, according to 1 Peter 1.3, that we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It would be really bad news if our king was dead. If our king was dead, all of the fear and the frustration would make sense. But he's not dead. Like our king is not dead. He's alive. But because Jesus lives, we can be sure not only that we have a living hope, but that God's purposes and plans have not been thwarted no matter what the world looks like out there. So this isn't just an individual thing like, I can have a living hope, I'm going to make it. We can be sure that all of God's plans are going to succeed because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But notice in this text that it speaks right to where we are that although we celebrate that Jesus is alive, it didn't always look so good and doesn't always look so good. So we can't always judge a book by its cover. Jesus, who is the Son of God that came away to take the sins of the world, was and is rejected by men. That's insanity. He came to save and he's rejected. So it doesn't always look so good. But again, we can take heart that this was predicted. The rejection that is the most heinous and ugly sin that has ever occurred was also part of the plan of God. This text is quoting several different places in the Old Testament, but I'm going to read you Psalm 118.22. It says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now notice two things about the quoting of this psalm. Notice two things about Psalm 118.22. There are builders who reject Jesus. There are builders who reject Jesus. That's still happening. The kingdom of this world is always building things that oppose the kingdom of God. This shouldn't surprise us. This is why Jesus was rejected. So when you look out there and you go, man, they're all rejecting Jesus. They don't like us. The culture doesn't like us. Are you surprised? This is what's always happening. We've just had a very rare, odd season in America where it's been cool to be a Christian. And as that ends, we've felt surprised and therefore defensive and, and angry in some ways. But this is the story of God's 
people because this is the story of Christ. And notice number two, that the rejection by the world does not thwart the plan of God or the preciousness of the cornerstone. As we come to Jesus, we come to one rejected by the world, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. The crowd eventually screamed, crucify him. But the father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It brought me a lot of peace this week to reflect on this text and realize that the supposed victories of the kingdom of the world, whether political or cultural or even personal in my own life, that oppose the kingdom of God and His righteousness cannot ultimately thwart God's purposes. They can only serve God's purposes. That's all they can do. It's not like they can wiggle out underneath from his sovereignty and go, well, i got a couple years here where I'm going to get away with what I'm going to get away with. All the things in the world that you fear will undo God's purposes, will serve God's purposes. When Jesus died on the cross, just try to put yourself in the place of the disciples. Like, oh my goodness. He, he's gone. It could have looked as if the Father was distant. And, and evil was winning, and all hope was lost, but it just wasn't true. In fact, the Son was chosen and precious in God's sight, and in going to the cross was carrying out and fulfilling the very purpose He and the Father agreed on before the foundation of the world that was planned before the foundation of the world and will carry consequences into eternity. Still chosen and precious, even though rejected by men. Family, there will always be builders that reject the true cornerstone. There will always be evil events and godless solutions and systems of the world that stand against Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be surprised. Th this is how it is. If you seek your firm footing and your foundation on the false cornerstones of comfort or convenience, or government policies, or political parties, or presidents, or health, or money, or anything else. You will always be as steady only as the current news cycle or the current circumstances in your life. And that's a really hard place to be. I long for you as your pastor to have firmer footing than the current news cycle or your current circumstances. But if you realize that while there are always builders building, opposed to Jesus, building their kingdom, thinking they can overthrow God in His ways, right? This has been happening since the Tower of Babel. God is always building His kingdom. He doesn't stop. And when they go to sleep, He's still up working. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He doesn't go faint or weary. He's building his kingdom on the foundation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is no news or circumstances that can steal that reality from you. This is really good news. When you wonder, is God still working? Where is he? What is he doing? And listen, none of us at Bethlehem would actually say that out loud. Like, I know that, so don't, 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 don't push me away. Like, we don't believe that at Bethlehem. We know he's always working. I mean, like, being a functional atheist who, yes, God is sovereign, but in your heart, you're consumed with what's going to happen. 
When that happens, God has given us the gift of the cross to look at over and over again. Yes, God's purposes will come to pass. Yes, Jesus has paid for my sins. Yes, he is for me, not against me. Yes, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it even when it seems like evil is winning. One of my favorite song lyrics says, Though the wrong seems oft so strong, He is the ruler yet. And that never changes. Jesus was rejected by men and crucified, but He is a living stone, alive, chosen and precious in God's sight. So with that in mind, I want us to look at how do we relate to that. First, I want to look at how do we relate to that as individuals, and how do we relate to that as a people. So point number one is a new person. What I want you to see is how your identity is so wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. So listen to 5a. It says, you yourselves like living stones. So remember, we have a living hope because we've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Not only can we remember that Jesus is alive and our hope is intact, but we can remember that we have been made alive with him. Jesus is the cornerstone and we are living stones with him. Eternal life starts now. You're alive now and you'll always be alive because you've been made alive. Peter means for his readers to begin to grasp how completely wrapped up their identity and life is in Jesus Christ. Just want them to feel that. Here's the cornerstone, your living stones. All of you, all of your life, all of your hope, all of who you are now after the cross, after the Spirit coming and opening your eyes is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. So as a Christian in this world, there are going to be a bunch of times where you're going to be countercultural. You're going to be saying things that are different. There are all sorts of ways that the people of God should find themselves completely out of step with the culture they live in when it comes to motivations and hopes and therefore our lives. This is the hard part of identity with Jesus. This is the hard part of identity with Jesus. This is the the hard part of being a Christian. He was rejected by men, but then when people don't understand our worldview, or our lives, we act surprised. Like Jesus was rejected by man in such a way that they put him on a cross to maintain their their structures of evil, to maintain their hold on power. That's how rejected he was. And then we put something out there and someone doesn't agree with uh, with us and we just act surprised. Like what is going on? How could you not see this? Well, they're dead. (laughs) They don't have eyes to see Jesus. They don't have eyes to see what he's doing. I preached through 1 Corinthians back in Albert Lee and said in that sermon series, first sentence of the sermon series to the people was, I'm preaching this series because we need to get used to being seen as foolish and weak by the world. Just need to get used to that. Just settle into that. (laughs) You're going to be seen as weak and foolish by the world. And Jesus is worth it. Our identity is not found in a political party. Our identity is not found in conservative or liberal policies. 
Our identity is found in Jesus Christ, and therefore, we will often be out of step with Fox and CNN news cycles. If you can turn on any of those things and just go, yep, all in, then you're not following Jesus that closely. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. Our identity is not found in the culture at large that wants to define itself by whatever it thinks will make it happy in the moment. I mean, that is the cultural edict of the moment. How, how am I governed? How should you be governed? How should we all be governed? Whatever makes us happy in the moment. Whatever makes me feel good in the moment. And, and we just can't think that we haven't bought in. But we are a people who should define ourselves by glad obedience and submission to and fellowship with King Jesus. Just walking where he tells us to go, going where he tells us to go. We should be nervous if we begin to feel too at home in our culture or in any political party. If you just find yourself right at home there, you should go, man, that makes me a little nervous that I'm more at home here than with Jesus. As we identify with Jesus, we need to be ready to be rejected and not fit in in any worldly institution because we will be seen as weak and foolish in how we spend our time and our energy and our resources. And I'll just say, we're still getting used to this kind of idea in America. I said before, we've had this, this very strange cultural gap when you look at history and the church and persecution of Christianity being cool, Christianity giving you kind of cultural capital. And that's starting to go away, and we're seeing it more and more in all sorts of decisions and, and policies, and so we're getting used to this. But imagine Peter writing to an audience and how badly he'd want them to understand this in the shadow of the mighty Roman Empire that was about to persecute, hunt down, punish, imprison, and kill them. I mean, that's who this is written to. Just think about how much you identify right now. Yes, I'm rejected and weak with, with our background compared to what he was writing into. They needed to know that just as Jesus was rejected, they too would be rejected as exiles who did not go with the cultural tide around them or hope in a political hero to save them. So that's the bad news. That's what it's going to be like to follow Jesus. And yet, what amazing news it is that just as we identify with the rejection of Jesus, we identify with the life of Jesus. We identify with being chosen and precious to God. The people Peter writes to are not left with ultimate rejection at all. Not, not even a little bit. No, they are left with hope for eternal life that starts right now and the promise that they are chosen and precious to God. In this phrase, you are living stones. Peter is saying, all that is true of Jesus in relation to God is now true of you. That, that, that's how it works. Right? When God looks at us, what does he see? The righteousness of Christ covering us. When God looks at us, what does he see? Brothers and sisters with Christ. All that is true of Christ and his relation to God is true of you and your relation to God now because of his finished work. That, that should take your breath away. And so what is true of us? We're living stones. The ultimate rejection these people that Peter's writing to would face could cost them their homes and their freedoms and their possessions and even their lives, but it could not take eternal life from them. 
To live is Christ, to die is gain. Peter wanted them to know that no temporary loss of stuff or even life could steal their eternal life as they prepared for persecution. What else are they? They're, they're chosen and precious by God. The ultimate rejection people could face could have alienated them and did alienate them often from friends and family. So Jesus talked about that when he spoke to the people saying, you're going to have to love me more than you love brother or sister or mom or dad or mother-in-law. Right? He's saying, it's got to be me because you're going to lose some things because of me. Am I enough? But it couldn't take. It couldn't take away that they were chosen by God and precious to him. As the mocking and shaming was going to come, as the persecution was going to come, Peter wanted them to know that no temporary human rejection could change their eternal acceptance by Almighty God. Do you feel, I'm just, I'm just praying these things haven't become old to you or dull to you. Do you feel the reality of who you are when you come to Christ? You're alive forever. Sitting here, if you've trusted in Christ, you're alive forever. You're never going to die, which means nothing is ultimately up for grabs. I will tell you one of the things that settles my heart most in these times of uncertainty, getting all sorts of emails, trying to respond and answer questions. One of the things that settles my heart most is that Jesus is alive. When I sit in living rooms of people who are suffering and facing death, they say, you know what, Pastor Dave, Jesus is alive. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. Jesus is alive. And I go, man, I'm going to make it too then. If these suffering brothers and sisters in Christ facing far harder things than I'm facing in emails or in frustrating times or in wearing a mask while I'm singing say it's okay Pastor Dave Jesus is alive I'm going okay Jesus is alive and he's real as I sit with suffering saints who show me he's real you're chosen and precious to God let me let me say this too you're chosen and precious to God not just on your best days You're chosen and precious to God, not just when you feel like you're knocking it out of the park. Right? Isn't isn't that how we work? Like, oh man, that was a good week. Bible reading every morning, coffee with my Bible, Instagram picture done, right? It's been good, right? I'm with Jesus. But that's not the only time you're chosen and precious to God. You're chosen and precious by God because you've trusted in the cornerstone who cannot be Moved, the cornerstone who was rejected by men so that you could be eternally accepted by God. You are a new person because of the person and work of Jesus. And not only are you a new person, but you're part of a new people. In fact, I think in America, one of the things we underemphasize because of our emphasis on the, on the individual and is the community nature of what God is doing. God is not just saving individual people through Jesus Christ, but he's saving a people. He's creating a a blood-bought family. It's not just a cute phrase we use that we put on t-shirts. It's what God is doing in the world right now. That's what he says in the next sentence. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And this sentence is full of Old Testament imagery that would have been stunning to the Jewish people that Peter was writing to. Why would it have been stunning? Because 
The idea of a spiritual house is the idea of the, the temple. He's saying, you're the temple. <laughs> Think about that for those who were coming out of a tradition where they had to go to the temple. Right? Go to the temple. They have access to God. He's saying, you're the temple. What was the temple at its core? The temple was the place where the presence of God made its home among the people of God. And the people of God came into the presence of God to worship God. Peter is saying to them, wherever you are, wherever persecution drives you, you are the new temple of God and the presence of God will be with you. That's stunning. right? We never have to write a psalm like David where we say, oh, I, I long for the courts. I long to be in the presence of God in that way because we are the new temple. That, that's stunning. Peter is saying, God's presence dwells among them and God's people worship him as the new temple. Listen to how it's said in Ephesians 2, 20 to 22. It says, You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Jesus, with Jesus as the cornerstone, we are being joined together, sovereignly ordained and arranged by God together into a holy temple where His Spirit dwells. In other words, the blood of Jesus purchases a people that are then arranged together in these local expressions called churches and filled with the Spirit of God. God purchases His people, places them exactly where He needs them for His glory, and then promises His empowering presence among them. That's stunning. Just to realize what we're caught up in, what God is doing and not only does he use this imagery of living stones becoming a place for his living presence to dwell, but he also uses the imagery of a holy priesthood. Now why would that have been amazing to the people reading this? Because priests were folks in the Old Testament set apart to have access to God in a, in a special way. They were set apart to, to make the sacrifices. The good news, therefore, of the new covenant people of God is that amazingly, we now all have direct access to God because of Jesus. Not only is he with us like he was in the, the temple, but he's saying not only is just that you're the temple like I'm among you in kind of a general way, but you're the priests. You have access. You can come to me now. Here's what it says in Ephesians 2.18. It says, For through Jesus we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. In the Old Testament, the priesthood was a special group with special access. In the New Covenant, through Jesus, all of us, the living stones, have access to the Holy of Holies. As the Lord's presence is with us, as the new temple, as we approach Him for help as a priesthood, he makes us holy. We become a holy priesthood. If the presence of God is, is near you, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you become more holy. And the other aspect of the priesthood, besides access to God, was this, this role of mediation. The, the priests were a go-between for the people and for God. 
And we serve that same purpose even in a world that so quickly rejects us. So here's what you can know as you're being rejected by the world. You can know that they're really just rejecting Jesus. You don't have to get personally caught up in it, personally offended. You just know, well, yeah, of course they are because they're rejecting Jesus. And our job as the people of God where God's presence dwells and the holy priesthood of God is to be ambassadors for the goodness and gospel of the world, or gospel of God to the world that hates us. Right? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Like Jesus meant that. <laughs> he, he meant it because he knew it was coming. God makes people alive, a new people, arranges them into a spiritual house with complete access to God, sanctifies them, makes them holy so that they can be ambassadors for Christ in word and in deed. We should not be content to be a holy huddle. And we should not be content to be a blood-bought family that simply seeks to protect itself from all the ickiness out there. That, that, that's not the goal. Rather, we're a people who know we're chosen and precious, alive by the Spirit, arranged as living stones to a new temple, and who long for other people to join our family, to taste and see that the Lord is good with us as we're scattered across these south suburbs. Like, like this, is, this is an amazing job description you have as a mediator of the gospel of Christ as you show your hope in Jesus at your workplace and at your co-op and on your PTA board and on your soccer teams and in your extended family and in your political office and even on your social media pages. You're a holy priesthood, ambassadors for the gospel. Walk through your neighborhoods and pray. If you're like, I don't, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make an impact. It's, I encourage you just to go for a walk this afternoon and pray for the houses you walk by. Lord, make me an ambassador for Christ. Lord, give me an opportunity. Lord, make something happen. Pray and pray and pray. Cultivate this kind of heart that says, I'm chosen and precious. I have nothing to lose. I want to spread the good news of the gospel to my neighbors and to the nations. We can do this courageously in the midst of a broken world, knowing that they may reject you, but it's worth it if God might use you to help them come to see Jesus. And they can never steal your life or identity because Christ is immovable as the cornerstone. So we're moving towards application now. So we are new people individually. We've become a part of a new people collectively. And it's all for a new purpose. So let's read the last part of verse 5. It says, To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now when Peter brings up sacrifice, the picture he's bringing up here is worship. The priests who were the ones who were responsible for the litur liturgy, for the worship in the temple. He's saying that as the new temple of God, where God's presence dwells, and as priests with access to him, we live lives of worship. And I just want us to notice two things about this worship as we close. First, as good, reformed Christians with a healthy dose of total depravity in our mind, we often cite the verse that all of our works are as filthy rags. Well, that's true in one sense. 
when it comes to our ability to earn our salvation. However, notice here that it says our lives of worship, our spiritual sacrifices, are acceptable to God. should be encouraging, <laughs> right? Why does it say acceptable to God? Because as you become more holy, you become more awesome, and therefore God accepts you. It's no, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. Because you're a living stone, because he's the cornerstone, because of what he's done, we can now actually live lives of worship. Will we ever live a perfect life? No. Will we ever live close to a perfect life? No. Will you ever get to a point where you arrive? No, the more you know Jesus, the more holiness he works in you, the more you'll see your sin, the more you'll be desperate for him, and it's just that kind of cycle. You're never going to get to a point where you go, I've got it, I've figured it out. But... Can we live lives of worship where we can actually do things that please God and bring glory to his name? Yes. That's good news. God accepts our lives of worship. Rejoice that God has made you alive, brought you into a people, promised his presence so that you can actually do things that advance his kingdom and bring glory to his name. In other words, with this added privilege of priesthood, this added privilege of, of access comes this added responsibility of all of life must be worship. All of life must be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. All of life is for his glory. There is lots of false building going on in the world, and we could give ourselves to becoming distracted with that. Or we could give ourselves to the privilege of being a part of the advance of the kingdom of God with lives of worship. We have the privilege of being a part and actors in the greatest story ever told and that ever will be told. Like, think about this. The way God has ordained it to be, His kingdom doesn't come to pass without you. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? To, to step into that. Now, of course, He'll, he'll do it without you if you decide not to take part in it. But what a privilege it is that he says, go and make disciples, and I'll be with you. Go and make disciples, and I'll help you. But if people don't hear the gospel, they don't come to know Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And how will they hear if someone doesn't go and preach to them? That's us. That's the holy priesthood scattered throughout these south suburbs. Second, Notice how all-encompassing this is. When are we not priests for God? Never. When are we not living stones arranged by God to be a spiritual house of worship? Never. Who arranged the living stones into a house and placed them where they are? God. So if you've trusted in Jesus, if He's your new foundation, a new longing, then you've been brought into a new people with the sole purpose of worship in His presence. If we were going to go back through chapter 1, we could say it this way. We're a holy priesthood meant to show that we hope most in the return of our Savior. We're a holy priesthood meant to grow by the Spirit into displaying the holy character of God. We're a holy priesthood meant to show that we fear God more than we fear anything else. We're a holy priesthood meant to show we're a new family and we love one another deeply in self-giving ways even when we disagree. 
We're a holy priesthood meant to show mercy because we're a people that has received mercy. We're a holy priesthood meant to proclaim the excellencies of God in the way we love each other, parent our kids, live out our marriages, live out our singleness, do all of our work, spend all of our money, use all of our time, and walk through all of our suffering. There is no moment disconnected from the life of Jesus Christ for you anymore. Not one moment. All of life is liturgy. All of life is worship. Every moment of the Christian life has infinite purpose and significance in enjoying and reflecting the goodness of Jesus Christ. Your life should feel thrilling. And if it doesn't right now, that's okay. You bring it to the cross, you say, help me see it. Help me see it. Help me see it in my brokenness. Help me see it in my suffering. Help me see it. But, but even in those things, again, sitting with a couple this week, oh, they are thrilled with God's purposes and none of us would choose their circumstances. They are thrilled with the opportunity to say a, some nice words to that neighbor or, or hope that these people that have known them might might come and hear the gospel because of them. I mean, they are, they are not disconnecting. They're thrilled with all that God is doing in one of the hardest providences I could imagine. So what will unite us as a people in all of our differences, whether that be ethnicity or economics or politics or whatever, what will unite us? Jesus. What is our foundation in these uncertain times? Jesus. What is our purpose in all of life? To live lives that make Jesus look as precious as he really is and to pray that others would see him, come to him with us, be brought into this spiritual house as living stones reconciled to God and experiencing his goodness themselves. All of life is meant to display the worth of God. None of us can do it on our own. We're being arranged into this spiritual house. None of us can do it in our own power. God's presence is with us and we have access to him in prayer. None of us is more or less important. You have a place in this house. You have a sphere of influence to display the worth of Jesus. You have been arranged by God as a stay-at-home mom or a CEO or a working mom or a politician or wherever you're at, in your family, in your workplace, in your social media, in all these places, you've been arranged by God so that there is a cumulative and comprehensive effect of us as a people going out and proclaiming as a holy priesthood the excellencies of Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, our foundation, our Savior, and our Lord. Let me pray for us. So Father, we, we long to be settled on firm footing. I long for myself and my family and this blood-bought family to, even when there's questions, even when there's frustrations, for there to be a, a settledness on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ who defines us and unites us. Father, help us run from all other answers. Help us run from all other ultimate hopes. And help us run together. Help us come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in your sight, 
chosen and precious. Help us love each other in such a way that the world would know we're His disciples. We belong to Him. And let our lives now be living sacrifices as living stones. Father, right now as we, as we sing together, would you be in our hearts showing us where, where we're just not worshiping you with our lives, where we're not trusting you. And Father, would this not be a moment of condemnation and guilt and being paralyzed? Would this be a moment of, of sight and bringing it to the freedom and laying it at the foot of the cross and then walking in new hope and new joy and new freedom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 720- 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.